Well, I know if you guys are like me, you woke up this morning and just saw that nice blanket of snow and all excited knowing that Christmas is right around the corner. Yeah. And then also, I know if you're like me, you've also decided that you are not going to look at anything on social media and realize how nice Florida is right now. Well, my name is Brady Collinger, and uh, we're going to start a three-week or a, yeah, a three-week series on prayer. Uh, to get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my childhood. When I was a senior in high school, I decided that I wanted to take a missions trip. Well, here at Grace back then, we didn't really have you know short-term mission trips where we'd go for a week like we do now. In fact, we hadn't really taken any as a church. So, as a senior in high school, it was kind of up to me to figure out where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. So I had some help from people and uh, I finally decided there was a group called Teen Mission International and I decided to go with them and go to Costa Rica. So if you know me, it was kind of out of my comfort zone and there were kind of three big things that kind of it talked about or that were out of my comfort zone. The first one was I was the only one I knew who was going. So I knew no one else who was going on this trip. Uh, The second thing was it was a six week trip If you've been on a mission trip before for one week, you know about the middle of the trip when you're in that lack of sleep stage, everything everyone does around you starts to annoy you. So you have about a day or two in there where you're just like, oh man, why are these people so annoying? You don't even actually realize you're the annoying one in the group. But so anyways, on a six week trip, there's about a two or three week span where everything annoys you. So it was a really test on me of getting along with people and working through that and being in circumstances where I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I ever gonna get through this? This is just horrible. So, but it was also a very great growing time for me and stuff. And the last thing that was really out of my comfort zone was how the trip started. I remember my parents driving me up to Goshen, Indiana. And first of all, you know, not knowing anyone, so you can't look them up on Facebook and look at their profile, all that type of stuff. I remember getting in the mail this piece of paper that had every picture of everybody going on the trip and their name. So that was all I knew. So I drive up to Goshen, Indiana. It's about 11 o'clock at night. And my parents dropped me off, you know, and say, okay, well, have a good time. And my mom did tell me that she cried all the way home. But I remember getting on this bus, and it wasn't one of those nice buses either, you know, the ones with air conditioning and TVs and all that. This was an old school bus with no air conditioning or anything in June. So I get on this bus, I remember walking on, and it's 11 o'clock at night, so pretty much everybody who's already been picked up at different other places is asleep, and just looking down the aisle going... I don't even know what to do at this point. So there's a seat right up front. So I was the kid who sat in the front seat and I just sat down there and I just kind of looked around and the bus pulled out and I stared out the window into the darkness and thought, oh my gosh, what did I just do? And I just kind of laid my head down and tried to sleep for the next few hours as we drove to Missouri. So at this point, I think you guys are, oh, that's horrible. Yeah. But anyways, it was, it was very out of my comfort zone doing this trip. And it really challenged me to seek God in the circumstances that I was in. So we're getting ready to start this uh, series on prayer. And before we get started, I'm going to say a quick word of prayer. 
Father God, I just thank you for bringing us here this morning. Um, I thank you for the cold weather and the warm weather, for the snow and for the sunshine. Uh, You bring all good things. And Lord, I pray for you this morning that you bring good things to us, that as we hear your word, that you will touch our spirit and that we'll walk out today changed from how we walked in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start this three-week series. And it's going to be based around Nehemiah. And we'll take a look at his story here in a second. But uh, there's going to be three parts to it. Today we're going to talk about circumstances versus mission. And then we're going to also look at formal versus informal in the next weeks to come. And then personal versus corporate. And we're going to look through uh, all these different aspects of prayer looking at the life of Nehemiah. So uh, to give you a little background about uh, what's going on in Nehemiah's time... Um, the people of Israel have kings and King Saul comes along, King David, King Solomon. And then as other kings come, the people start to fall away. And God had promises for them that, you know, if you stay faithful to me, this is what I'm going to give you. And the people were not faithful to him. So he caused uh, people from foreign lands to kind of come in and take over their cities. And Jerusalem being one of the main cities, they had knocked down the walls. They had knocked down the temple that they worshiped in, and they had pretty much scattered the people out of the city. So God's people knew what God had promised for them, that this was their promised land, and and God wanted them to have that land. So the people started to repent. And as the people repent, God brings a guy named Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, yeah, you get the idea. Zerubbabel uh, comes in and he brings some people back to Jerusalem and they build up the temple again so they can worship God again. And then we jump 75 years later and we come to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah hears this report that the temple is rebuilt, but the walls of the city are still down and that there's no way to protect the city. So Nehemiah it says, weeps and fasts for many days, praying to God and saying, God, please come and rebuild this wall. Let's find a way to take care of this. And Nehemiah was living in a foreign land at that time. And it says he was the cupbearer to the king. So he's in a pretty prestigious position. And uh, through God working in his circumstances, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and does something remarkable. He helps rebuild the wall in 72 day, or in 52 days. And he would have never been able to accomplish that without the prayer life that he had and really depending on God and what happened. So we're going to use his life as kind of the uh, uh, background of looking at these aspects of prayer over the next three weeks. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Nehemiah 1. And we're going to read uh, the beginning there where Nehemiah has a prayer to God about this. So Nehemiah 1, and it says, In uh, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men and questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive, attentive, 
and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So I think as you look at that prayer, it's kind of interesting that uh, Nehemiah is going to God and saying, God, the walls are broken down. Look at the circumstances we're in. And I'm not even there, Lord. I can't even help these people out where I'm at right now. Lord, what can I do? We don't really see Nehemiah approaching God with a list of, hey, Lord, take care of this. You know, help me get back and do all these things. We see really Nehemiah crying out and kind of looking at different aspects. And the first uh, aspect that you see as you look at that is he confesses sin. Notice in the first part of that passage when he says his prayer, he basically says, God, we've sinned against you. We're wrong. Lord, my, me, I'm guilty. My family's guilty. The Israelites, we're guilty of sinning against you. And Lord, I come to you right now and I just confess our sin. He doesn't give a long list of things to be done, but he confesses sin. The second thing that's inter- interesting as you look at this prayer is uh, he remembers God's promises. God's promises. He says, Lord, you said if we sin against you, you're going to scatter us. You've done that. But Lord, you've also said, if we repent, you'll bring us back together. So you see the repentance, you see the confession of sin, and you also see Nehemiah saying, God, we're repenting. Now keep your promise of bringing us back together. So uh, Nehemiah is remembering promises that God's given him. And then the last thing we see is Nehemiah praising God for who he is. God, you're great. You're awesome. And Lord, we want you to come now and intervene in our circumstances. We know you can do this. We expect you to do this. And we want you to be part of what we're doing. So uh, the interesting thing is, you know, a wall back then was very important. A wall was what went around the city and it protected you from enemies when they came. It also protected you against wild animals that might come into the city at night or something like that. So Nehemiah knew the importance of this wall. It, it, he called it a disgrace, you know, that it was broken down and that God would come and help their circumstances in doing that. So Nehemiah approached his circumstances in kind of a different way than what we usually do. He didn't make a list out and say, God, help me with these circumstances. He did three key things. He confessed sin. He talked about God's promises. And he also praised God for who he is. Uh, Another example we see in the Bible with this is with David. If you read through the Psalms, you see David many times just falling to his knees and God, (laughs) these are horrible circumstances. I'm being chased by people. I'm hiding in caves. You know, Lord, help me out. And you also see times where David is confessing sins and those types of things. But it's kind of interesting. If you read through a lot of the Psalms, there's this kind of how Nehemiah prayed. 
where David anguishes about his circumstances, but then goes back and praises God for who he is. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 31. So again, if you have your Bible, you can flip there. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. And just kind of read through this. And as you hear it, you see kind of that transition between God, you're in control. You know, I, I, I know your promises. I know what you're going to give me. But Lord, life stinks right now. So as you read through this, kind of, uh, you'll kind of see those things. So here's what it says. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those that cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction. You knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of my enemy, but have set, me, set my feet in a spacious place. So this first part, just seeing God really just, or David really cry out and say, God, you're faithful. You've taken care of me in the past and I know you're gonna do it again. And then here's kind of the dark place where David is. And it says, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my ears by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. So there you see David just in the deep sorrow, anguish, nobody loves me. And I'm sure some of you might be able to even relate to that today, that you just anguish in what you're going through. Maybe it's uh, sickness, maybe it's your job, maybe relationships that you have. You can feel where David's at right now. And then this is how he ends the psalm. It says, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies for those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. So again, you kind of see that contrast, uh, what we saw with Nehemiah, where uh, Nehemiah knew his circumstances were not good. He spent days weeping about it. And here you see David kind of doing the same thing, but they both come back to the unfailing love of God and the promises that he has for you. So as we kind of wrap up my portion of this, and uh, John Haydock's going to come up and share a little bit about mission. Um, Think about the circumstances you're in now. And do you approach God with a list? Hey, God, so-and-so is sick. Hey, uh, I've got this going on in my life or uh, that's going on. My relationship with my daughter's not very good. My relationship with my spouse isn't very good. Or do you approach God and say, hey, Lord, here are the things going on in my life, but I know you're faithful. I know you have promises for me and I know you're going to be true to those promises. And Lord, you are great. Your unfailing love is going to take care of me. And I know that you have promises. So right now, Lord, I confess my sins to you. I bring those to you and I lay them down. And Lord, I ask you to be part of these circumstances that I'm in and just show me your unfailing love. Uh, so maybe think about how you bring those requests to God. 
Um, to kind of uh, transition here to John talking about mission, we're going to take about a minute or two, and I want you to just uh, uh, pray to God. Maybe there's something you're going through right now, and just pray to him and think about uh, his unfailing love in that situation and look at those three aspects of confessing sin, thinking about the promises that God has promised to you, and praising God for who he is. And so we'll just have you bow your heads. If you're a journaler, maybe you want to write down some of those promises or uh, some of those ways that you see God in your life and uh, do that type of thing. And then John's going to come up and speak to us about mission. So uh, bow your head and pray here for a minute. And then John will close us in prayer. Yes, Lord Jesus, we come this morning and pray to you opening our hearts and our minds bare before you. We pray through the things that are troubling us. We give thanks for the things that you've blessed us with. And Lord, we just thank you that um, you are a God who loves us immensely and desires great things for us. And thank you for providing for us, giving us courage and hope. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Brady. My name is John Haydock. I am one of your, uh, also one of your elders here at Grace. And so now uh, a time for some contrast. We've seen how Nehemiah and David both were very open to God and praying through their circumstances in their lives. And they've done this with all of their emotions. Now we're going to turn back again to Nehemiah only this time we're going to see how he was focused on his mission and prayed with this focus. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah was distraught over the devastation that existed in Jerusalem. God used this as kind of a kairos moment, an awakening in his life, and brought great conviction upon him to do something about it. <clears throat> Nehemiah responded with mourning and fasting for several days. And then he prayed the prayer that Brady uh, read through just a few moments ago. It's clear the way this prayer ends that Nehemiah has already thought through in his mind a plan and what he was going to do to respond and get involved in restoring Jerusalem. He's going to go before the king. Before he starts his mission project, he prays and beseeches God for mercy. And then he, as he prays in this prayer, the, the words at the end of the prayer say, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. The man he was referring to here is the king. This is the first step in his action plan to pursue mission and advancing God's kingdom by rebuilding Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a man who was convicted in his heart. He made a plan, but before pursuing his plan, what does he do? He prays. Living a missional life was important to Nehemiah, and before he starts on this missional life, he prays. So when I grew up, Prayer was a ritual. We repeated the same words, 
to the same prayers over and over again. This was all I knew of prayer. Later, when I became a believer and gave my life to following the Lord, I learned how to pray conversationally. But I still prayed just entirely for my circumstances. I would pray for things that I feared. I would pray for decisions I had to make. I would pray for health issues or health issues of others. It was a, a few years later that I experienced something that changed the way I thought of prayer forever. (laughs) Teresa and I had just left behind our years in the Navy. We had relocated to Canton, Ohio. And for the first time in my life, I was attending a Bible teaching church. And we were growing rapidly. This church supported a missionary couple in Italy Marco and Sherry De Felice. Marco and Sherry were back in the U.S. on a, on a visit, and we were invited to uh, join with them one evening in a home where there was a small gathering, and we got to hear Marco tell the story of their experiences in Italy. As I listened, my heart was burning inside me. You see, Marco was talking about things like having spiritual conversations with people in line at a grocery store. He was sharing the gospel with people for the first time. He was meeting with new believers and reading through the book of John. I felt like I was listening to the Apostle Paul. I wanted to do these things myself. But I recognized a problem. So I am not a charismatic person like Marco De Felice. I don't naturally attract people. In fact, at that point in my life, I wasn't sure I really even liked people. I'd have rather been in my basement working on a project than have to deal with people. But I went to Marco after the meeting and I asked him, Given these limitations about my personality, how can I be engaged in these things? His answer to me was short and it was simple. He said, John, pray for open doors to share the gospel. I had never heard these terms before. These were strange words to me. In fact, they almost sound kind of cultic. And it wasn't until several weeks later I was reading through the book of Colossians in chapter 4, where Paul uses those very words as he prays. He says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So like Nehemiah, Paul was a man of mission. He was convicted and lived out his convictions. He also lived out his mission through prayer. Paul prayed for his mission and the mission of the gospel. Although he was beaten, imprisoned, and in financial want, we see almost no example in Scripture of Paul praying for his own circumstances. When he prays, he prays for his mission. Even after my encounter with Marco, 
I still find myself in prayer for my circumstances, my needs, health issues for others, you know, having a list and checking off a list of things to pray for. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's healthy, just like uh, Brady shared earlier. But I think both Nehemiah and Paul show us that there can be something more to our prayer life. Do you struggle like me being in a rut and praying only for your needs and circumstances? So this morning, I'm going to give you three things, three elements that you can add to your prayer life to engage in praying for the mission and advancing God's kingdom. First, as I mentioned in uh, Paul's writings, it's clear that he focused on praying for mission and ministry of the gospel. This is clear in that Ephesians or Colossians 4 passage I read. In Romans 10.1, Paul expresses his heart's desire that his fellow Israelites would hear the gospel and be saved. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, his prayer is that the message of the gospel would spread rapidly. And then he prays for Philemon. He prays that Philemon would be active in sharing his faith. Paul was a man of mission, and he prayed for the ministry of the gospel. Praying for the salvation of others was central to him. This ought to be an element in our prayer as well. Second, Paul also prayed abundantly for spiritual growth for his fellow believers. Here's a list of abbreviated, uh, an abbreviated list of spiritual growth things for which Paul prays. Perfection. To know him better. To be pure and blameless. To please the Lord. Patience. Power to fulfill your good purposes. Words are powerful. These are powerful words. And prayer is all about words. These are words that Paul prayed and prayed often, continually, night and day. He was a man devoted to seeing his fellow believers grow in their faith And he prayed accordingly. Certainly, we should be praying the same for one another. It ought to be a priority for us to pray for spiritual growth for one another. Third, in the opening sentences of six of the letters Paul wrote, he uses the same phrase. So let me read read you a few examples. And as I read these, be listening for the common theme here. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. We always thank God for all of you. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Do you catch the common theme? Paul prayed thanksgiving for his fellow brothers. He gave thanks for those who locked arms with him and engaged in the ministry of the gospel. Repeating the same phrase over and over again emphasizes and demonstrates the importance and value of praying thanks for our fellow brothers and sisters. So we have it. There's three elements. Pray for the ministry of the gospel. Pray for spiritual growth for your brothers and sisters. And pray giving thanks for those who are engaged in mission. So now as we wrap this up and draw it to a close, I'm going to take us back to our friend and faithful leader, Nehemiah. So we started this morning at the beginning of uh, Nehemiah's missional journey in chapter 1. 
Now we're going to transition and look, go all the way to the end of his missional journey to chapter 13 of Nehemiah. An interesting observation in this chapter, Nehemiah prays three times, three short prayers. These prayers are different than the prayer we saw in chapter 1 where we started today. In these prayers, in chapter 13, he's praying in retrospective. Prior to these prayers, Nehemiah had accomplished some act of faith and leadership in his mission. Then he prays that God would bless his work. In chapter 1, he prayed before he started his mission. In chapter 13, he conducts his mission. And then he prays that God would bless it and continue the work. So here's an example of one of those prayers. He says, remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. It's almost like these prayers serve as bookends, holding together all the missionary efforts that Nehemiah pursued in his lifetime. Prayer before and prayer after. We should remember this as well. We should pray to prepare for mission. And we should also pray when we finished our mission that God would continue the work to grow his kingdom. So since meeting with our missionary friend Marco all those years ago, I have increased my focus in prayer on ministry and mission of the gospel. I have prayed for open doors of opportunity for myself and for others. I'm happy to report to you today that I actually do enjoy spending time with people. <clears throat> God has used me to share the gospel with others, and I've even had the privilege of leading a few friends to faith in our Lord Jesus. So my challenge for you today is to reflect on your prayers and your prayer life and join me in praying for the mission of God's kingdom. Pray for the growth of your brothers and sisters as you minister the gospel. Always give thanks for one another. And as you pray, <clears throat> as, you, as you pursue mission, pray as you start and pray as you finish your labor for the gospel. May God's kingdom continue to advance. So as we finish, I'd like to pray, and we'd like to pray together. And I, there's a beautiful prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to read this prayer to you. But I'm going to read it as a prayer over you. It's like we're going to pray over Grace Gathering and the ministry of Grace Gathering as I read through this prayer. And I'd like you to join with me as I read these words and make that a prayer for your fellow brothers and sisters around you this morning as we pray through this together. And I'd like to do this a little differently than we normally do. Let's stand together as we pray this. And we'll have everybody stand. And then I'll read through, um, read through this passage. So this is Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts 
through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.